Hey, we're back at Hoagie's Garage with Toby. How's it going today, Toby? Oh, another nice day. It's supposed to be warm again today. A little breezy, but warm, so I'll take it. No snow yet. No snow. Uh, next week, you might be back in the old push truck uh, moving some snow. Well, not in the push truck, but I'll be in a truck possibly. <laughs> Hopefully not, but... <laughs> yeah, I agree. Let's hope not. Uh, but it's going to be cold next week here, at least. Hey, uh... Just for reference, I uh, started a Facebook page called Hoagie's Garage. Um, I'm posting all the podcasts on there. Um, I also just put a little thing on there that if any race car drivers would have an interest in talking with us or anybody that deals with racing, and my Prom phone kind of blew up, so. Promoters, <laughs> engine builders, heck, we'll talk to anybody. We're not overly fussy, but no. yeah, it sounds like we got a few to do yet. Yeah, so that was that was really good. I appreciate all the response. I mean, we got race car drivers. We got, uh, I got one was uh, uh, a young. I believe he's out in California now, but he's training race car drivers. In other words, weight training. Oh, Getting really? Getting them physically fit to race a race car. Well, it could be kind of interesting so to see he, what they do with that. Yeah, he said he kind of started with Jamie Ball. and Really? He's kind of worked up, so that's... Didn't know, be, didn't know about that one till now. Yeah, and then I got some from Indiana, some from North Dakota, PA. Uh, they're all over, so um, that's so, great, and we look forward to doing that. So in other words, you and me are going to get together more often? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I hope that's all right, Tob. Hopefully you can handle me. I'll try and fit her into my busy schedule. <laughs> well, today uh, we're very fortunate. Um you know, last time we had Lance DeWeese on, um, this guy is no longer racing because of an accident, but yep. uh, Brad Doty, um, you know, 73 feature wins, 30 Ran. different tracks, 13 yep. different states. Ran with the Outlaws for quite a few years. Yeah. And should, should be a good interview, I yeah. think. I think one, you know, even when it was like Kinzer and Wolfgang and yep. all them, yep. he was, he he was, was voted them. most popular driver. Oh, really? Yep, one year. So, and that's, I think, done with t-shirt sales and stuff like that. So, can't wait to talk to him. So, yep. when we come back, we'll have Brad Doty on the phone. like to thank Octane Inc. from T South Dakota. They pretty much do a little bit of everything. They are known for their wraps. They wrap golf carts, uh, snowmobiles, um, trailers, sprint cars hobby stocks, it doesn't matter. Uh, side by sides, they wrap it. Uh, they also do coolers and they will also do clothing. You can have t-shirts made there. Um, you name it, these guys can do it. I work with Brett uh, Vanderbrink all the time. He is amazing and I can't thank him enough for how much he helps me. And if I were you guys, I would definitely check out Octane Inc. You can contact them by calling 605-213-8343. It is 800 East Prescott in T, South Dakota. And again, they're just great people to work with. And we're back at Hoagie's Garage with Mr. Brad Doty. Uh, Mr. Doty, could you give us a little update on you and your family and what's been going on? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've got five kids and uh, just had our 10th and 11th 
grandchild. Uh, the tenth is about eight months old, and the eleventh is about a month old. So we've we've got a pretty busy, busy household, and and always something going on. Uh, you know, never never a dull moment. It seems like there's always somebody uh, needing something or stopping in, or you know, we get together quite a bit. So it's it's all good. I can't even imagine. I just got my first grandchild. She's nine months, and she's getting to be a lot of fun, but she keeps you busy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, my oldest daughter has five of the 11, so she takes a big chunk out of it. <laughs> we, we, were getting, we would get those those five almost every Friday. Uh, they're now, the oldest is 17 down to uh, about 10, so they don't want to hang out with no, grandma and grandpa as much anymore. You're as not used as to, you're not as cool as you once were for them. <laughs> right, they got they got better things to do now. Yeah, but anyways, let's let's go back when this all got started for you. How did how did you get started? Did you race something other than sprints to begin with, or? Yeah, actually, um, I gotta I gotta plug my book. It's still wide open. Um, a lot of the information's in there and. You know, we did our the first book in 1999, and um, within a couple of years, we did several reprints, and then did another version in 2011, and added three new chapters, and it sold out fairly quickly. And we did a reprint about a year ago. Dave, Ar- I say we, it's Dave Arterbright and I, and uh, um, it was the first book David ever written, and since then he has done. I think eight or 10 books on some of the biggest players in racing. But uh, so for the people that read the book, they, they, they might get tired of hearing this rehash, but I grew up, uh, well, I was living in Millersburg, Ohio, and Jack and Ed Hoddenshield's dad, John, was a local, local hero in a little car called a modified, but it's not like an IMCA modified or even a, big block modified. It was just pretty, a pretty much a crudely built sprint car, home built car, mm-hmm. open, open wheeled. So when Ed turned 16, he started driving, uh, a modified and I would have been about 14. Jack was Jack and I, I think Jack's nine months younger than me. So try to make a long story short, Ed, Ed started it all. And he, um, at that time, the average age for a local racer was that was doing any good was probably 30 years old, you know, and to a 16 year old, that's ancient. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's old. Yeah. That's old. And I, so, can, Ed, I can remember still when 40 was old, but I'm long past that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. But so Ed, uh, Ed really took off and started winning races locally and his little modified and opened a lot of eyes. And I watched him, uh, you know, from the grandstands and thought, man, that really looks cool and, and something I'd like to try. And I grew up on a farm, a small farm, 80 acres, and we had some beef cattle. And part of the deal was, you know, I, I fed the beef cattle. My dad drove semi truck and was going three or four days of the week. So I would feed the, 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 the beef cows, um, you know, get them fattened up at the yep. morning and night before school and after school. And, and part of that was my pay was to, you know, I got one of the steers. And so I, the money I got from the steer, I bought a, uh, 
a Honda, basically an enduro motorcycle, off of, off a cousin of mine, and I rode it around the farm for a while, and I ended up selling it. And Ed Hodenshield had moved from that modified that he started in up to a sprint car, which was a spring front CAE. Uh, you know, by today's standards, still a pretty crude sprint car, but it was yep. at the time or a period before that one of the top sprint cars ever built. So I bought the modified from Ed, and that's how I got started and started running Lakeville Speedway, a uh, little quarter mile racetrack locally, and and got my first sprint car ride. Um, well, let's see, I would I was. 15 and then turned 16 <laughs> before my second race in the modified. And I ran it for a, a season or a season and a half and then sold it. was going to try to get a sprint car and couldn't get the money together. So I didn't race for a few years, a couple years. And then I believe my first sprint car ride um, was at, well, I know it was at Mansfield and, and it had a broken suspension on the rear and I couldn't hardly drive. And I thought, man, if this is what a sprint car is supposed to be like, <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not no way going to be able to do this. And they called me that week and told me, um, what it was, was the rear. And at that time, the rear axle, instead of splined, like today where the wheels go on yep. and the hubs, it had a, a what they called a keyway and a, and a key. And it was a tapered axle and the hub would slide on with a key and a big nut. Well, when they assembled it, somebody forgot to put the key in. So when I would gas it, only one wheel would drive. Yeah, just sit and spin, sure. And the other one would just spin. Yep. So every time I would throttle this thing, it would just jump completely sideways. And I, <laughs> I, I thought, man, like I said, I, if this is what a sprint car feels like, I'm going I'm back done. to modified racing. Yeah. And so they fortunately called me and told me what happened and uh, made me feel a whole lot better. But I finally got uh, a local ride at, at Lakeville. I, I won my first sprint car, uh, a main at Lakeville Speedway. Uh, let's see. I think it was in 70, 1970. I'm really showing my age here, but <laughs> I believe it was 1978. Gosh, this is all in the book. And I, yep. and, and, and I, I, uh, Kevin Eckert, who's done a lot of history on a lot of drivers and different things. He actually sent me, uh, about a half inch thick uh, form of you know papers of the races that I ran and different things and sometimes I'll go through that and I think man I forgot about that or I can't you know I, yeah. you know I don't remember that race and, I, and you know that kind of thing but so anyway I, I won it at, at Lakeville and then 79 was really my breakout year I won 14 races out of like 16 or 17 races at Lakeville and in a sprint car and it was a really good Nance four bar, uh, sprint car that Kenny Jacobs, uh, had been running. And, and so about that time, about the year before, I think is when Jack started racing too. So the four of us were kind of right. Ed, Jack, Hodge, Ed and Jack Hodgenshield, Kenny Jacobs and I, we were running Lakeville and, and we, you know, we'd hang out during the week and Ed was the best mechanic of all of us. So he would help fix everybody's car when they broke and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, 79 was really good for me. And then at the end of the season, we went to Western Pennsylvania 
And I'd only run without a wing a couple of times. I went down to Florida, I think, uh, in seven, I believe it was early 79. But um, so Western Pennsylvania at that time was non-wing, and we went over at the end of the year, and I was running in the back of the pack, hardly going anywhere, and they had a restart late in the race. This was at Tri-City Speedway in Franklin, PA. And so single file restart and it's a big half mile so i was way in the back and they threw the green and i went down the back straight away passing cars and drove in way over my head and almost thought i was going to drive it through the wall well lakeville was a little like i said a little quarter mile no guardrail pretty dry slick never had a cushion well i had never run against a cushion well tri-city had a wall around it <laughs> so you had, it had your first cushion mud. experience yep it had this mud and dirt built up that I didn't really know what, you know, what it was at the time, but, but I found out after driving in too deep and got up against that cushion that I was making speed and we ended up running fourth wow. and, and from the tail. And so that put me in the dash for the next week. And I thought I had this mastered. I was in the dash <laughs> uh, and end up same thing trying to run the cushion while well, I found out how quickly the cushion can bite you in the butt and oh. I flipped pretty hard. And so that was the end, end of that season, but we went back the next year and they ran, uh, by that time, 16 square foot wings. And we went over because their season started far before Lakeville did. And we just went over to race and see how it went. And next thing you know, I'm leading the points at Tri-City and Lernerville Speedway. And so we just stayed, kept going back every week. And I was winning races. I was leading the points at both tracks. And I flipped at Lernerville, and we didn't have the money to fix the car. And again, for those that have read the book, um, it's all in there. But there was a guy named Sam Bowers from Bowers Coal Company who was sitting in the grandstands, and he sponsored a, a local, uh, I don't know if it would have been a pure late model at the time or like a, a, a pro stock or limited late, something like that. But, um, he had a, a, a guy named Bill Bowser, uh, owned, a, a truck repair shop and he worked on Sam Bowers. I know Bauer, Bowser and Bowers, everybody gets confused there, <laughs> but, but Bill Bowser would work on Sam's dump trucks. He, you know, he stripped coal and, and sold coal. Yep. And so Bowers had found out through Bill that, we weren't coming back. We didn't have the money to fix the car. And I got a call that week to go to Cure Speed Shop and buy everything we needed to put the car back together. And uh, this guy named Sam Bowers was going to write a check and, and pay for it. And I was like, man, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> and, and this Bill Bowser reassured me that the guy was for real. He, he had the money. So I went to Cure Speed Shop, and I I tell everybody I can that I, I always be indebted to Shirley Cure at Cure Speed Shop because I left there with about $2,000 worth of parts, and I promised to pay her when this guy paid me, and she just, as I was going out the door, I'll never forget it. She said, well, if he doesn't come through with the money, you'll just have to pay me back winning races, and she just gave me a big grin. <laughs> and so we put the car back together and showed up at the racetrack at Lernerville on Friday night 
And in those, those days, we built our own wings to save money. Well, we didn't have time to build a new wing. And so um, a guy pulled in that built wings, pulled up beside our trailer and unbolted a brand new wing and started putting on our car. And I mean, half the pits probably emptied to our pit area trying, you know, the word was we were done. We weren't coming back. And all of a sudden we show up, we got new, we always had old wheels and, and steel wheels and showed up with some new aluminum wheels on the car and a, a brand new wing on top. And, and everybody's like, what is going on here? And we, and we went out and won the feature that night. This so, Brad Doty's a big shot now, they're thinking. He's coming well, all the stuff. Sudden, yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I was leading the points and everything, and some of the older guys weren't very receptive to me coming over there and winning races. But I will have to say, and I've told Dave and Dale Blaney this, that their dad, Lou, uh, was a very quiet, very quiet man. But he was always really respectable toward me. Uh, some, were, some of the other drivers were as well. Some not at all, but uh, Lou was always always treated me with respect, and I always admired him. But uh, here I am getting kind of long-winded, but we went out and won the feature, and so Sam Bowers was like, you know, they, they destroyed the race car, and I was 21 years old. Say, 20 you're still in your early 20s yet doing this. so Yeah, I was, I was maybe 20, I guess, at that time. And so to see a young guy come back and do that i mean i had help uh, had a young guy named butch sherwin who was uh, maybe 16 or 17 helping you know with maintenance on the car and that kind of thing and it was usually just him and i at the track and so um but we had great car owners john gantz john Harmon, dave pope uh, they were like uh, you know a bunch of guys they just worked regular jobs and and so um Bowers decided to kind of sponsor the car the rest of the year. And at the end of that year, he bought that car from the owners and ended up moving me. And at that time, my girlfriend over to Western Pennsylvania. And, um, well, we won the Jack championships at Lernerville and Tri-City at the end of that year. So um, in 81, then that was 1980 and 81, we, Went out on the road with the All-Stars, and I finished fourth in points and got Rookie of the Year. And then 82, we went with the World of Outlaws, and I was, uh, I think I was finished. I I think I was fourth in that as well, but um, it's been a long time since I've looked any of this stuff up. But anyway, (laughs) I was Rookie of the Year year with the World of Outlaws in 82, but I do remember several races that I was going to win my rookie season with a lap or two to go and broke or crashed and uh, those still hurt to this day. And then I finally won my first World of Outlaws race uh, in 83 at Oklahoma city, Oklahoma. So I told you I'd get kind of, Oh, that's, that's great. I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't read your book, but I'm from what you've been saying so far, I'm definitely going to have to look it up and find it and get myself a copy. Well, they, they've been sold out, but Dave, Art just told me this winter he's, he's going to do another reprint, so they will be available at DaveArgerbright.com. And yep. you know, uh, I realize I'm getting older, but uh, the books are still selling, and people like yourselves that you know there there are there is a lot of information in there. I guess that uh, it, it, by the sounds of things, I need to go back through and and, do, and study myself. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that follows sprint car racing still knows who Brad Doty is, though. 
Well, I appreciate it. The fans have always been so good to me. And, and uh, you know, Jan Opperman was my hero. I'm not sure if you guys yep, yep. are familiar with him. And, and um, but he uh, was always really good with the fans. It's always good with me anyway. And, and that's how I, I put the smiley face in my D. And again, it's in the book, but Jan Opperman, uh, put a, a smiley face in his O and, and I always thought, you know, if I ever got good enough, somebody wanted my autograph, I was going to put a smiley face in the D <laughs> and that's how that came about. But I, but I remember always, anytime I would see him and there were several times I, I've got a picture with him that I kept and there were several times I got to talk to him, but every time I'd have to stand back and get my nerve up just to go up and ask for a picture because he was, you know, so high on that pedestal. He was the man to, at the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, so I try to remember, always tried to remember that as a driver that, you know, these young people or, you know, even older people, but I tried to be nice to the fans because, uh, and I tell other drivers without fans, we don't have a paycheck, you know, without yeah. those people sitting in the grandstands, drivers aren't going to get paid. So not only that, but I just enjoy people and, and, when we ran with the world of outlaws, you know, you get to know people all over the country and the drivers do today as well. And they stay at, you know, their shops or, you know, have barbecues. And so the different parts of the country, uh, they have friends, you know, yep. that are racing friends. And, and, uh, a lot of drivers will tell you that retire or like myself get hurt or for whatever reason, that's one of the things you miss the most is, are the people you know, that you, that you got to see every year in certain parts of the country. You bet. Absolutely. Hey, Brad, I'm going to cut you off just for a little bit so we can take a break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. Absolutely. The Laurel Ridge barn, it can host corporate events, fundraisers, award ceremonies, family reunions, photography, studio time, and always weddings. This barn is absolutely spectacular. If you have not seen it, you have to go to their website, laurelridgebarn.com. Um, you can also call them at 605-951-0867. You can call or text that number. Again, that's 605-951-0867. They are located at 4767 Slip Up Creek Road. No, I didn't make that up. It's 47677 Slip Up Creek Road in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So if you have a wedding or any of those other things, give them a look because I'm telling you, this place is amazing. Okay, here we are back with Brad. Now, we've been getting a lot of great information, great stories. Love to hear them. Um, you know, from... Back in the day, again, you know, you know, you raced with the best. Well, obviously, you grew up with Jack. He's one of the best. And you raced with Sammy and Steve and Doug Wolfgang. You know, Doug's the local boy around here. You know, he still lives up in Sioux Falls. You know, what was that like racing against the icons, you could say, of the business and trying to be one yourself? Uh, demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about my rookie year in 82 and – and finally get my first win in 83 and I didn't run full time with the world of outlaws, but in 86, um, I got in the Coors light car and, uh, um, 
Well, that, that this could turn into another long story, but for That's years, right. Bobby Davis. Bobby Davis Jr. drove the Gambler House car. Yep. And a guy and a guy named Quentin Bammer with Muller Brothers um, Body Shop, you know, on the trailer. I mean, it was a first class rig, and and it's the house car by Gambler and Kenny Woodruff, one of the best ever mechanics, sprint car mechanics, was the mechanic on it. Well, they had been together for a couple for a few years, and then and as you guys know. About three years in sprint car racing is a lifetime, you know, usually a team, you know, for whatever reason, that's about as long as they can stay together. And for whatever reason, they, they need, they wanted to change drivers. And so I got hired and I was pretty intimidated because Kenny Woodruff is a pretty gruff and pretty, he's not afraid to chew the the driver. I mean, he'll chew on you and, and race heck with you if he doesn't think you're getting the job done so it took me a while to, to make a decision and i and i took the ride well so this was uh going into 1986 i thought man i got the world by the tail i got the best mechanic a great car owner you know the gambler house car things are looking great and they got Cor- gambler put together the Coors light sponsorship for steve kinzer's car which was owned by carl kinzer and then the house car well unfortunately quentin bammer went through a divorce that winter and pulled the plug on that race team so kenny woodruff who was a highly paid mechanic for years called me and said he promised me a ride that we were going to he was going to try to you know run the car and we were going to try to still make this happen and so we go to florida with uh, the All-Stars at, at um, Volusia. And back in those days, it was a steel block engine. And we won the first race out, but we burned a piston on the last couple laps. And so we won our first race together and then had to turn around and come home. Back, He went back to Tennessee and I went back to Ohio. And they were still racing in Florida. So that was kind of the you know, uh, the writing was kind of on the wall. So, and Kenny did his best to keep the car going, but it was about midsummer that Marks and Kepler owned uh, a red number nine car, and they ran mostly California with uh, Jimmy Sills driving the car, and they ran Gambler cars. And so they made a deal to team up with the Gambler, uh, basically house car. The Gambler would supply them with chassis. And they would put the Coors Light uh, logos and everything on their car and change it to number 18. So in July of 86 is when everything switched to the Marks and Kepler um, Coors Light 18 car. And we, we did pretty good, won some races, finished out the year. But 1987 was my breakout year. Uh, let me back up. We finished at the end of 86. Uh, there's a, there was a race at Ascot Park in, in Gardena, California, which was right along the freeways in L.A. You could see the Hollywood sign from the track, and it was just infamous. It was not infamous; it was famous. I mean, yeah. it was it was in a lot of movies and TV shows, and celebrities were always there. And the Pacific Coast Nationals was one of the crown jewel races of sprint car races back in from oh probably the at that particular track, there are several versions of Ascot, but at that particular track, probably, I'm thinking from the 
50s or 60s up through when it finally closed in 90 something so i won that the it was the final race of the season for the world of outlaws was at ascot and it was the pacific coast nationals and it's on video for those um that get dirt vision well i think dirt vision's free their archives it's on there but bobby davis jr and i passed each other four times in one lap um he was driving the red number six um i can't remember the guy's name that owned it at the time but anyway back in we literally four times in one lap best race i'd ever been in but mainly because i ended up winning but we won the pacific <laughs> coast nationals and which is the biggest race of my career we got a new rodec uh, aluminum block and we had total left with like paid ten thousand win which was big money then with the block and all the extras and contingencies, we left like $17,000. And the next day was a non-wing CRA race. And there was a guy named J.W. Hunt, who was a strawberry farmer from yep. Florida, very wealthy. And he would come to sprint car races and literally throw $100 bills around like they were dollar bills. He would pay for people's tires and add extra money. Well, he was out there. He said he would give a $3,000 bonus to the highest average finish of the two nights. Well, since we'd already won, uh, and I hadn't run a lot, with, again, but without a wing uh, throughout my career, but we took the wing off and ran fifth the next day and collected that $3,000 bonus. So that was the final race of 1986 for the World of Outlaws. The season opener for the World of Outlaws was 1987, a two-day afternoon shows back at Ascot, and we won both days uh, of the opener. So we won three, uh, three World Outlaws races, races. Yeah. right right in a row at, at, at Ascot. So when people ask me what my favorite track is, it's not hard to, to <laughs> imagine. Ascot was my favorite racetrack. That was a big so old we, half mile, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't real big, but it was really flat. It was yep. a half mile, but it was extremely flat. Um, and so, but it palm trees in the infield and just the atmosphere it was just nothing like it. And so, 87, um, when you ask about Wolfgang, Steve, and, and Sammy, 87, the reason I bring all this up ahead of time is because we left there and I think we ran like third three races in a row after that. Um, since they went back and counted preliminaries, I think they said now I, I won like seven races in 87, but that's also the year that Steve won 47 races. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you asked how, how it was the grace against those guys, when I say demoralizing, it was demoralizing. We, <laughs> we had our best season ever won the most races, uh, made the most money. But I ran second to those guys so many times, and especially Steve, because he ran the whole series that year. Yep. And, uh, but to come up short, you know, it was, <clears throat> it was tough. Um, but, um, and then, of course, then I got hurt, and my accident was uh, July of uh, 1988. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it, it, it was tough. I mean, those guys, when they were – you know, there were years Sammy didn't run the entire season with the World of Outlaws, and, and Doug was pretty well known for not running yep. the, the, the entire season. So he, uh, 
But anytime those three were at the track together, you you knew you were probably going to run fourth at the at the best. You yeah. know? And, and but there were times uh, we had some good races. Um, I, I beat Steve at Santa Fe, a little quarter mile bull ring. Uh, he and I back went back and forth, and uh, uh, you know slide jobs and and I and I beat him fair and square. You know, it was one of the, one of my prouder moments because uh, I mean we'd had a few of those, but obviously he beat me a whole lot more than I did him. So just quickly going back to 1987, just some things that I looked up on you, Brad. It it said that you were the World of Outlaws' most popular driver in '87. And I think that goes by T-shirts or something like that, T-shirt sales. But I, my question along with that is, was there some issues like with the Coors Light and did you not get much money or did somebody not, because somebody owned the rights to Coors Light or something like that with the T-shirt sales? Well, there, there's a little bit to that. I think probably what you're referring to is um, in the, 86 and 87 when it was the car like i said was owned by marks and kepler so it was fred marks and les kepler well fred was the low-key uh didn't get too excited and kepler was the complete opposite so kepler and i had some issues a little bit uh, over over the time and fred would always smooth things over well fred decided after uh 87 that he he wanted to bow out he didn't want to be on the road anymore and and um so les kepler owned the car and, and it went from the coors light sponsorship to kodiak uh smokeless tobacco or chewing you know the, the just chew. saw a picture of that and, car yesterday on facebook somebody had it on there yeah so that's that was the start of 1988 well i think what you're referring to is fred marks was far ahead of anybody when it came to merchandise that guy had suspenders and i mean everybody had t-shirts but he had coors light and marks and kepler suspenders and what they called jams they were like shorts that had the car logo on one one pant leg at the, and marks and kepler on the other he had hat pins and hats i mean you name it and he would put all this stuff on and go out literally you know, we didn't really have t-shirt trailers then, but, you know, we sold out of the trailer, but he'd wear this stuff. And I called him like a circus barker, you know, he would yell, <laughs> Coors Light, get your Gore Coors Light, Brad Doty stuff. And that, you know, that kind of thing. And, yep. and so he was so far ahead of everyone. And at that time we split the profits. Well, he, when he quit, Kepler hired his daughter and I can't get into a lot of detail, but he wanted to pay his daughter a certain amount per week to sell the merchandise. And so that was kind of the start of the downfall because I thought, you know, cause Fred never took any percentage. And like I said, we, we'd had issues. So it wasn't just this, but that was kind of the, you know, the tipping point, I guess. So when I got to Florida uh, to run I think we're running the Tampa fairgrounds and probably East Bay, but um, we weren't getting along before we ever even started racing. And so I, I don't know how we did in Tampa, but we went to Manzanita. So like a dummy, I drove all the way from 
Ohio to Florida and her motor home and my wife and, and, and two kids at the time. And, uh, then drove all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. And we started running out of fuel. I think I was running second and we started running out of fuel. We must've, I'm pretty sure I wasn't leading it. And somebody just asked me about this the other day, but I ended up on the front straightaway. So it must've been third, but I got passed late because it was dying in the corners, running out of fuel. Yep. And so when Kepler came out, I could tell by the look on his face, he was so mad. Uh, I mean, you could read his face. He was, <laughs> you know, so angry and he started blaming me for not driving the car hard enough. And I was telling him it was running out of fuel and um, uh, he wouldn't believe me and started screaming at his car would not run out of fuel. We had plenty of fuel in it. And, that, and that's when I decided it was, I, I needed to do something different. So I quit the team and, uh, but like I said, a lot of, some of it was over the t-shirts in the off season that we didn't quite agree on how to do that. And then that was just, like I said, the, the, the tip of the iceberg yeah. or the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. And I, I quit. So then I made it, had to make the decision. Do I drive back to Ohio with no ride? And it was, you know, there's no racing for a couple months in Ohio. Or do I drive from Phoenix to Los Angeles where Ascot was the next race? And, uh, um, you know, back in those days with no cell phone, I was stopping and, you know, pay phones and calling all the car owners I could think of in, in California trying to find a ride and no ride. And so, uh, Jack Hodenshield and I, and again, it's in the book and, and, uh, we've since, I mean, we were best friends growing up and we traveled together in our motorhomes for the, the year or two prior to this. And, uh, well, I hate to dwell on it too much, but basically I, you know, I would vent to Jack about what was going on with my team. And, you know, we talked about different things and what was going on and, and he, you know, had me convinced that he would never put up with, a guy like Kepler and, and, you know, that it wasn't right and that kind of thing. So anyway, I quit, we go to Los Angeles and I pull in the motel parking lot and the car that Jack was driving, uh, his mechanic comes walking up to me in my motorhome and saying, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, Jack's driving the 18 car for Marks and Kepler. I said, what? <laughs> He said, yep. He said he quit us and he's going to drive Kepler's car. And about that time they come pulling in in the rig and Jack was sitting in the front seat with his arm on the armrest and Hey, Dodie, what's up? You know, and, and Jack, if you don't know Jack Hodenshield, he, I don't, he really doesn't have a mean bone in his body. And I don't think he intentionally meant to do any of this. It just, he was struggling a little bit in the car he was in and, and all of a sudden the 18 was available. He's like, well, they offered him the ride. Heck yeah, I'll take it, you know, yep. kind of thing. So the only car available was the car Jack left. So we basically just swapped rides <laughs> and in California. So here's two Ohio guys out in California that, it, and it was a little rough for a while. I have to admit, it really, it really put some tension between us. And, and, uh, uh, so, but it, it 
it's water under the bridge now. We, we both, we can laugh about it now and that kind of thing. It was just part of racing, you know, and, and, um, but the car he was in wasn't, didn't feel nearly as good as the, 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 at that time, the Kodiak car. And, and I changed the rides a couple of times and I, I had driven for Gary Stanton in 1984 and it was a beautiful Corky's paint 75 and I'll bring it up again. It was the original cover or the book of the cover of our original book had the the, uh, Corky's paint 75 on the cover, just a beautiful, beautiful car and all custom painted by hand. No, no vinyl in those days. No, no. Uh, Yeah. So, so I drove for Gary and, in 84 and we'd, we'd won some races well then by 1988 his car was a yellow number 40 does more sponsored and doug wolfgang had been driving it and they weren't getting along too well and weren't winning as many races as they thought so they split up and i ended up in stanton's car and we actually won a well let me back up one little bit we won in this i was driving gary runyon's number seven car uh, from, he's from Indiana, the Jack's tool rental car. And we won a winged, uh, USAC race at Paragon, Indiana. And it's when USAC were struggling to get cars and pay, and they decided to, to give wings a try for a couple of years. And so I won in that car. And then the week before my accident, I won in Gary's car, the number 40 in Phil, Finley, Ohio, and at Millstream, uh, won a winged USAC race and then the following weekend is when i had my accident at eldora oh man all right hey brad we're gonna take a quick break all right like to thank octane inc from t south dakota they pretty much do a little bit of everything they are known for their wraps they wrap golf carts uh snowmobiles um trailers sprint cars hobby stocks it doesn't matter uh side by sides they wrap it uh they also do coolers and they will also do clothing you can have t-shirts made there um you name it these guys can do it i work with brett uh vanderbrink all the time he is amazing and i can't thank him enough for how much he helps me And if I were you guys, I would definitely check out Octane Inc. You can contact them by calling 605-213-8343. It is 800 East Prescott in T, South Dakota. And again, they're just great people to work with. So after your accident, Brad, what... uh, what 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 all happened? What uh, I know your accident, uh, you kind of had a third child right after that. Um, but what else all did you do after your accident? Well, yeah, for those that don't know, my accident, I was paralyzed uh, from the waist down in, in the accident at Eldora. And, and mentally, it was tough for a, a couple of years. That was, again, in 1988. And I got very fortunate that the... Uh, the slick 50 winter series was started in, I believe the winter of 91 and 92 and then 92 and 93. And Jeff Swindell was the, what they call the color commentator or the analyst for the first year. And I sat home and watched it and they, and then he got, he got a ride for the next year. So they, 
Jeff recommended me and, and I'm always be thankful to him for that. But I hadn't, since my accident, I had, I hadn't been in an airplane. I hadn't rented a car. And so a lot of uncertainty, but, uh, I finally knew if I didn't take it or try it, I would probably regret it the rest of my life. Little did I know that it would turn into a second career, but, um, I lived in Ohio. So, and still do, but so I got to travel to Phoenix. I was out there about four days a week, uh, every week for 10 straight weeks, except for the holidays. So it got me out of Ohio and, and, you know, I was able to get a rental car with hand controls and drive myself. I was very independent and wanted to do it, do it all by myself. And, and so I got involved with, and that was those, it was live TV. I had never done any kind of TV, had no formal training whatsoever. They literally, I was, it was Mike Joy who does all the NASCAR races yep. on Fox now. And, and, uh, Dick Bergen, who used to do all, a lot of the pit reporting for NASCAR. Yep, it was yep. those two in the, in the booth and myself. And they literally, I mean, plopped me down in the booth and said, here you go. And here's your headset. And, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, <laughs> live TV. And I mean, my heart was pounding, adrenaline was flowing and, and, uh, it went pretty well. Um, it, you know, I, uh, a modified had crashed. They were running our dwarf cars, I guess they, in those days or the like, or the baby, the legends, but yep. the little cars and one of those had crashed and they did a replay and I, we went to commercial and I pointed out to those guys that a radius rod was broken before the crash and neither one had noticed it. And they said, that's exactly what we need you to say and explain that. So we came back from commercial, they showed the replay and I talked about it and said, you're a natural. That's the kind of stuff we didn't see. And Dick had raced himself some. So anyway, we, we did 10 straight weeks. And then a few years later, the world of outlaws started doing some live TV and fortunately I was able to do that. So I had a great career. We many, many years of live TV and then to uh, what they call voiceover or tape delayed. And I'm still doing uh, TV to this day, not as much, but last year we did uh, several power eye midget races. I did four asphalt races from Anderson, including uh, little 500 or that were aired on MAV TV. And uh, the year before that, the World of Outlaws did some tape-delayed stuff on CBS Sports. I was able to still do that. So still pretty involved. So it gave me a second career, which I'm very, very thankful for. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, kind of it gave me a, a chance to stay involved in the sport, which is the main thing. And, and, and I've, I've enjoyed doing the TV very much. Yeah. Well, it's been great for us, too, now, you know, because like you said, that Slick 50 was really the first time we ever had a chance to watch dirt racing on TV much. And now it's, yeah. it's progressed so much now you can watch races every night of the week just about. Yeah. One one thing before you answer that, it, DeWeese called it a little bit of uh, the Larson effect. Um, you know, we, we didn't really have that on any of our topics, but what do you think Larson has brought to it? Oh my gosh. Um, it's, it's invaluable. I mean, it's, uh, it's worked both ways. I mean, NASCAR has admitted it and, but look at the, look at the drivers now that are, that are racing dirt. 
their t- their car owners are allowing them to go race dirt. Now, obviously, uh, long before Kyle, there were lots of not lots, but several dirt racers who made it to NASCAR. But once they got there, they were pretty much shut off from from dirt racing. And uh, what Kyle did um, with during the pandemic and the shutdown and stuff, and 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 uh, the go, you know going back and forth. Um, opened so many eyes to to dirt racing because a lot of that was the only thing that was you know any racing that was going on was dirt racing so all the eyeballs of the world uh were on dirt racing and and what's kyle going to do next kind of thing yep so i think that brought a lot of non-dirt racing fans to see what dirt racing is all about and and a lot of people are watching NASCAR to see what you know the dirt racers, you know Kyle and Christopher Bell and Stenhouse and and the guys, you know uh, Briscoe and and look and gosh, look what uh, Bowman's doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Front row of the Daytona, both guys been running on dirt array this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bowman, look, you know, running the wing sprint car at Volusia, making yep. the show, and and so it's it's it, to me, it's an awesome time to be a a dirt racer or a dirt fan because it kind of legitimizes, you know, the sport, you know, people look down their nose at dirt racing and it is dirty. I mean, now I'm a promoter now, uh, uh, you know, at Attica and, and I don't care how well you prepare the track, if the wind's blowing the wrong direction, you can get dirty. And that's the downside to dirt racing that, that some fans won't put up with, but if they at least still watch it online yep. or, you know, buy the driver's shirts and that kind of thing it's still a plus but uh, yeah it's it's definitely more i want to say mainstream but it's more accepted put it that way well, there was, it's a, there was been, a t-shirt out years ago i think it was that if you weren't getting dirt in your beer you weren't racing so yeah exactly <laughs> yep yep so but yeah you were talking about being a promoter i know you have your own race now you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah it's the race actually started after my accident and the very first one was uh, a benefit race for my family and myself and uh it was done by the usa a sanction that kind of went against the world of outlaws in in 89 and uh united sprint association and they put a race on they they rented the track and and if any of the proceeds were going to go to my family and myself and unfortunately the race didn't make any money not only for me but for them and politics and other things involved the the series didn't didn't make it so at that time there were like four individuals the tracks at a fairground at the attica uh, fairgrounds in attica ohio yep and so it's attica raceway park uh dot com for if anybody's interested in tickets but so the race was um uh the, the four guys that were running it called me and want to know if i would be okay with them running an annual race and calling it the brad Doty classic in honor of my career and i was you know, humbled by it and i said absolutely and but i had really no direct connection or any financial um they they would give us uh half the 50 50 which would 
anywhere from $600 to $1,000. And sometimes we would donate it to spinal cord research or an injured driver or whatever, you know, trying to do, you know, at, at times. And Pay it forward. So, yeah, but it was 2005 when I actually became a co-promoter with Janet Holbrook, the Holbrooks from Ohio who owned Sprint Cars for years. And she became the promoter for a, a season or two at Attica. And so um, I actually became a, a, a promoter with her. Uh, we were doing um, TV with the Outdoor Channel. It was tape delayed. So the, the race was televised. And I was able to bring the World of Outlaws for the first time ever to sanction the event. So my first time as a promoter was a World of Outlaws race <laughs> with, with the Outdoor Channel televising it and becoming a promoter. But the guys, John Boris and Rex Lejeune at Attica Raceway Park have been great to work with. And so this year's race will be a July 13th um, uh at Attica, again, atticaracewaypark.com. Just uh, click on their um, website, and there's a banner for tickets. And uh, you can go to the worldoutlaws.com forward slash schedule, uh, you know, to find find tickets there too. But uh, same thing, I've, I've been in you know, some great sponsors. Um, uh, actually, I'm sorry, Tuesday, July 12th. It was the 13th last year. See, you guys got me all I wasn't very prepared for this. So, uh, but anyway, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's adrenaline rush about like driving a race car, uh, it, it, you know, as close as I can get. So, um, we've been kind of snake bit by with weather the last few years. And, you know, if we can get a good bright sunny day, uh, that's, that's such a relief, but, uh, I'm looking forward to have some great sponsors, Ohio logistics. This will be their 15th year with us. And, Racing Optics, the presenting sponsor, has been with us for almost 15 years. So it takes a lot of people to put it together and make it successful. You bet. That's awesome. That's awesome. We we also hope it's uh, going to happen because we'll definitely be watching in our garage. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Brad, we can't thank you enough. This is Tobe and I are just sitting here kind of just listening, soaking it all in. So this is awesome stuff, and we really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Like I said, you know, I, I hope I answered part of your questions. Like I said, I got a little long-winded on some of them, but uh, it takes some explaining sometimes to get to the point. You bet. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly listen. We'll gladly listen. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thanks again, and um, hopefully the race happens this year, and wish you the best of luck. So, take All care. right, guys. Well, thank, thanks for having me on. I, it was fun. All right. We enjoyed it. We'll see you. All right. Take care.